and welcome to this Expert Insights CD. I'm Donna Hanson. Our Expert Insights CD series is designed to give professionals access to the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on productivity, performance and achievement, both in business and personally. We know that these days it's often hard to find time to step outside your world and explore what's happening in other organisations. Our Expert Insights CDs are designed to provide you with concise information on topics relevant to you on a basis, regular basis in a format that maximises your time and keeps you up to date with current trends. In this Expert Insights CD we speak with Graham Cowan on how a mentally healthy work culture impacts on productivity. But before I introduce Graham, let's just tell, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Originally working in sales and moving to marketing manager with global brands such as Johnson & Johnson and then Pfizer, Graham moved to recruitment, career coaching and outplacement with Morgan & Banks before leading their culture change. But his world changed in 2000 when as joint managing director of an executive search division of a recruitment company, Graham experienced a mental breakdown which resulted in him being out of the workforce for six years. His psychiatrist described Graham's depression as the worst he had ever treated. He emerged from the crisis with a very different view about how we build resilience and mood to thrive in times of change. In 2007, he launched his first book, Back from the Brink, which former UK Prime Minister Tony Blair commented is a brave book that will certainly help remove stigma and provides real hope and practical help. In 2009, Graham worked with Gavin Larkin and a small team to launch Are You OK?, which is one of his proudest achievements, a program that encourages us all to reach out to someone we are concerned with and ask, Are You OK? Today, we're going to be speaking with Graham about having a mentally healthy workplace culture impacts on productivity and performance. Welcome, Graham. Lovely to be with you, Donna. Oh, it's, it's great to share this journey and I know that uh, depression, mental health and, and those elements in the workplace are really uh, top of mind in, in a lot of organisations today for conversation, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. You know, there's a lot of uh, change and disruption in organisations and that change and disruption can lead to stress and, and stress can lead to disengagement and, and extreme stress for some people can lead to a mental illness. But, you know, I think the, the thing that I just to um, really stress is that, you know, we all have different moods. You know, we all have, uh, you know, great days and bad days. And we're somewhere on a spectrum from 0 to 10, where, where 0 equals where you're really dying and 10 is where you're thriving physically, mentally, spiritually. And um, as you mentioned in, in your introduction, I had a, a long period in very low mood, or what I call the red zone. Um, but I'm really passionate about um, helping individuals to create rituals that make them more positive, make them more resourceful, make them more energetic. And ultimately, that leads to uh, you know, a more fulfilling life. Um. Graham, what an amazing journey you've been on, your know, breakdown and, and so forth. How did you come to write 
about or write your book back from the brink because I know it must have been a traumatic time and for a lot of people you know the last thing you want to do is is hash up um, something that uh, I guess some people might perceive in themselves as as um, less than strength yeah yeah well I was in really bad place for a long time as you mentioned I was out of work for um, you know around about five or six years and it was part of uh, my recovery you know I started I started really regular walking and that really helped lift my mood a bit I reconnected with family and friends and that lifted my mood a bit I started doing some volunteer work because I didn't feel ready for paid work and that that helped a bit and then I but what I really learned for was stories of people who'd been what I'd been through and come out the other side and I just had this feeling that um, there would be other people that would be very interested in that as well. And so, you know, in Australia, I sort about finding a range of people, and I, I, it was about 12 people at all, from high-profile people to everyday people who'd been through tough times and just really tracking what worked for them, how they were able to do it. And, um, and that was, you know, that... that, that and funny enough, it was... Um, I think a very important part of my recovery, the fact that um, I was working on something bigger than myself and, uh, you know, just um, felt like it would make a difference and and it did. I'm very fortunate that it did. And I'm, I'm guessing what it probably may have made you realised and, and certainly I realised as you spoke through that was the fact that when you're in those places you often feel like you're alone and I guess you know being able to have those conversations with other people who'd been through similar experiences just made you realize that you weren't alone yeah that's um that's exactly right you know you do feel very alone I think even also people trying to help loved ones also feel alone and uh you know one of the things I do in my seminars is to ask people to raise their hands if they know someone close to them that's been through depression or an anxiety disorder. And always about, uh, you know, between seven to nine out of 10 of people raise their hands um, because m most of us are touched in some way. And, uh, and so it is something that's all encompassing. And you know, I think great and honest talks about um, mood and feelings um, can lead to you know, a greater and more productive workplace, but it can also lead to a more open place where people can talk with confidence about what's happening to them. Do, do you think that there's anything that's sort of happened in the last, uh, I don't know, five to ten years that's made this become sort of a, more a conversation topic rather than be something that it, you know, maybe in our parents' day had sort of been brushed under the carpet, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a relatively short period of time that, you know, um, illnesses like these have been discussed, uh, very relatively short. In fact, you know, I first had my first episode when I was, I think, 20 years old, and um, I had no idea what it was. There was nothing at that time like, you know, Beyond Blue or Black Dog Institute or... It was Lifeline was around, but there wasn't such a high profile. So it has been great that um, there has been a lot of discussion around it. Um, but it's still very disappointing that there is a lot of stigma still in the workplace. There is still shame in people sharing that they, they might be going through it. 
And in research I did for my third book, 83% of people said they would rather suffer in silence than discuss it with their workmates. And yet it's the the largest cause of lost productivity in the workplace, um, depression and stress disorders. So, um, yeah, the biggest problem, and uh, no one's talking about it. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly uh, something that needs to be addressed. Do you think it's got anything to do with the changing face of how we communicate with each other? I think that's a factor. I think there's many factors. Um, you know, one is there is just massive change in the, in the work environment. You know, it used to be you'd get a job and have a job for life. And, you know, now there is just so much um, casual work. There's so many restructures. There's so much outsourcing. There's so much... Um, uh, re-engineering that people's roles and positions are changing all the time. I think that causes a fair bit of stress. I think there is elements around, um, you know, how we do interact. You know, there's people, you know, will email someone who's sitting three metres away from them, you know, <laughs> rather than talking to them. And there's no doubt about it that the personal um, approach does does work much better. It's much more supportive. It's a much more caring uh, environment and uh, I found it really interesting there was a anthropologist from Oxford um, who looked at basically the number of people that most humans could have relationships with is a guy called Professor Robin Dunbar and he found that on average um, people could have a relationship with about 150 people and so he decided to research on Facebook and test if that was the case. And um, sure enough, he found that the average number on Facebook was about, I think, about 160. But when he actually asked people, um, you know, who could you rely on in a crisis, the ones that he could rely on were the ones that you had face-to-face -face interactions with, face-to-face -face contact with. And that was only four out of the 160. So, um, you wow. know, having... Um, you know, social media and email and phone and all that sort of stuff can be a handy thing, but it just can't replace the face-to-face -face interaction, particularly when, you know, people are looking for more honest and authentic discussions. Well, I think people are looking more for community these days, but they're looking, you know, they're realising that community doesn't come from looking at a, a computer screen. It comes from pressing the flesh. I mean, we see that from a sales perspective, uh, you know, that, that sales organisations are very big on relationships because otherwise people are just buying based upon price or, you know, commoditising things. And, you know, we often go into a store and we get a vibe about, how that organisation treats us and, and regardless of the fact you might be buying the same product that's available from several different places, it's often about how we feel connected to a brand or how we feel about that customer service experience that that changes. So I think we, we're starting to recognise the, the value or go back to basics and recognise the value of those relationships not only in um, business but in supporting us in these tough times. Absolutely. Mm. So what do you consider to be a mentally healthy workplace culture, Graham? Well, a mentally healthy workplace culture is one that has equal emphasis on performance and well-being. Um, and there's some really compelling um, evidence that shows that this is really desirable, um, not just for short-term success, but also long-term sustainable success. And there's a... Um, a book done by two McKinsey partners is mm -hmm. called 
beyond performance. And they actually found that organizations that do have equal emphasis on well-being and performance are 300% more likely to be in the top quartile of profitability compared to those that just focus on performance alone. Um, as, as, as individuals, there was a big study done in um, Harvard Business Review and it showed that individuals that are of a positive mood, what I call the green zone on the moodometer, so up around your 8, 9 or 10, they've been shown to be 31% more productive, uh, they sell 37% more and they're 300% more creative than people that are in the lower end of the of the moodometer, so there's very very tangible benefits on um, why they should do it. Um, I think that all, for organisations to implement and have a sustainable, um, you know, mental resilience strategy, uh, they need to consider things at an individual level, at a tribal level, which is you know the work team or work environment, and then and then finally at an organisational level and need you know, different strategies on all those all those three areas. Mm. So I'm guessing having something like this, it doesn't necessarily need to be expensive, it just needs to be driven. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, um, you know, it's not expensive at all. And, and one of the things that I really stress in my work is that, you know, good leadership um, produces this as an outcome. You know, it's, it's how leaders interact with their team it's how team members interact with each other and that has the biggest bearing on on people's you know well-being and performance and um it's not something extra you know it's 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 about encouraging healthy practices so that people have the right energy levels and uh, motivation levels and it's it's um you know, just being persistent about it. It it, uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing organisations that have, you know, achieved some wonderful results by having a, a caring and also a high-performing environment. So um, is there is this something that you, you start to see a particular generation supporting a more healthy um work culture is it a particular type of organization what are the characteristics of an organization that has a, a healthy workplace culture mentally yeah I, I don't think any organization is perfect and they'd be the first to admit that but i think it's just it's more around the the leader that that sees that these sort of things are important so you know, when I think about my my client base, I've done a lot of work in banking in the banking sector. I've done a lot of work in the public sector, um, a little work in professional services, and also in healthcare. And um, you know, I think it's it's more the culture and the leadership of the organisation that recognises as an issue because you can have other groups in that sector that you know don't worry about it at all. Um, but I think increasingly, it's it's being seen as something that's um, critical to success. And I think probably, you know, my proudest moment the last year is having the chief financial officer of, um, you know, a top 10 Australian company, um, you know, asked me to take his group through a, what I call a seven rituals of the resilient leader workshop, because they, even a CFO, um, is now seeing that this is important to delivering the bottom line. Um, it's very expensive if you do it wrong because the average stress relief costs 
the organization, the Workers' Compensation Company, about $250,000. And as I stress, you know, the, the upside before, the increase in productivity, the increase in influence and salesmanship and creativity, um, it's a way to stay ahead. It's also a way to retain people because, mm. uh, you know, when it's stressful, when it's um, really intense, that's when you often get your, uh, you know, people leaving absenteeism, presenteeism as well. Oh, that, that's exactly the area that I was, I was going to go to. And I think um, often when organisations are so busy just looking at the bottom line, they need to go back to basics and remember that realistically in a vast proportion of organisation, human capital is the biggest expense and it can be an asset, a liability or an expense. So it depends on how it's supported, like any equipment and I use the air quotes like any equipment in a business if you don't service it and maintain it you can't expect to get the performance you need out of it that's that's a hundred percent correct and uh, you know there's you know they'd be seen as negligent to um, you know not update the computers or not update the phones or um, you know the laptops or the tablets and yet it's often assume that people will, will renew themselves and leadership will renew themselves. Um, it's often not given the same priority as uh, equipment. And, and, and in most organisations, you know, people represent about uh, 80 or 90% of the, um, of the expenses of the business. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, you know, clearly there's some of the reasons why having a, a healthy workplace culture is important absentee presenteeism etc um as well as the retention i know that um kelly recruitment a number of years ago did a, um, some research around the cost to replace employees uh, and uh, it varied uh, there are a number of different reports varied between 25 percent and 200 percent of a person's annual salary to replace them it, it just depended upon where they were in the process and what their role was so even those statistics are pretty amazing you know yes yeah they certainly are and um you know i've heard people talking you know just ballpark about a hundred percent of um, annual salary by the time you retrain recruit um you know manage the uh, absence while someone's not in the role um all those loss of um intellectual capital um, and knowledge of the business. Uh, yeah, it's uh, anything you can do to keep good good people is um, pays itself back a million times over. So I, I guess, um, you know, to, to take that a step further, not having um, a healthy culture clearly impacts on productivity because people aren't engaged, they're not happy, they're disconnected. Um, what what are signs that a workplace culture, you know, could stand a little bit more improvement? And realising, of course, that probably every organisation realistically could afford to be better. What what are some signs that you're, you're really in trouble? Uh, it's the vibe. <laughs> you, know, you walk into a place and just really assess it. You know, I was down in Canberra on the weekend and um, I was... Uh, I was there with my brothers and sisters assessing a nursing home for my aunt who's in hospital and, and quite ill and um, and we just went in there and honestly you could just assess it. You look around, you could see people smiling, the staff smiling, you could see them interacting with their clients, um, you know, you could just see that there was commitment to the mission of the business. 
And I think that's a pretty important component. You know, when you go into a business, if you see people smiling, if you see them interacting, but if you also see them engaged and energetic, that's an incredibly uh, good indicator that, that they're on the right track. Um, you know, there's, there's, of course, all the quantitative things we talked about before, um, you know, keeping monitoring things like absenteeism, um, turnover rates, all that sort of thing. That shows the downside. The upside is looking at, um, you know, whether people are um, healthy, <laughs> you know, whether they're, you know, doing things that energise them or refuel the, the tank each day, like, um, you know, exercise or um, eating well. It's playing to their strengths, um, understanding that, uh, you know, people that play to their strengths are much more um, engaged in their work and they also report a higher life satisfaction. You know, Gallup have a, a strengths finder where you find out your top five strengths and people use their top five every day are 600% more likely to be engaged and 300% more likely to report high life satisfaction. So they can be great indicators. It's also having a, um, a culture which recognises little steps of progress um, and being grateful for little steps of progress because when there's change, when there's disruption, we as humans often focus on what goes wrong and uh, I think really, really great um, uh, cultures look for small victories all the time. And um, this work has been very extensively studied by a lady called Therese Umberlay in her book, The Progress Principle. She's a uh, psychology professor from Harvard, and she found that overwhelmingly for um, knowledge-based workers, the most motivating thing they can receive is knowing they're making progress on meaningful work. So, um, you know, acknowledging those around you when you see steps of progress, acknowledge yourself, um, you know, because as individuals, we also can be very hypercritical. And, um, you know, even simple things like at the end of each day, uh, writing down three things you're grateful for have been clinically proven by Martin Seligman. If you do that every day for a week, it's been shown to improve your mood for up to six months later. So, you know, in organisations, coming back to the original question, it's, 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 you know, do people get excited by the purpose of the business? Do they um, interact well with each other? Is there a sense of we rather than a sense of I? Um, do they acknowledge progress? Do they use their strengths? Um, they're all things that contribute to, you know, mental health and resilience in the workplace. Um, so, uh, I'm, and I'm going back here to my educational background here. I'm trying to remember, is it industrial style where it's um, it's more a strategy is developed at a higher level and it's pushed down through the business rather than it being more of a collaborative uh, process? And, and uh, it's really about um, moving away from that sort of approach and going into an organisation and recognising in your gut that it feels like a healthy workplace because ultimately uh, depression and workplace health and how we feel about our contribution are, are all emotive feelings. They're not necessarily backed by any rational logic, are they? Yeah, and, and what you talked about, about the different, um, you know, eras is, is very, very true. And I think um, 
Daniel Pink, who wrote the, the book Drive, did some really interesting research on that. And he was looking at, you know, in the industrial period, when we were punching out widgets, you know, punching out stuff all the same, um, there was real merit in the carrot and stick approach. You know, mm -hmm. you, give, you give people an incentive and they have to drive towards making it happen. If they don't, you give them a big whack. Well, now that we've moved to, you know, the information or the ideas economy, Daniel uh, Pink has shown that really people are looking for three things. They're looking for a sense of purpose, and I've talked about the importance of purpose before. They're looking for autonomy, and um, that's the, you know, the chance to be able to decide when and where they work, how they work. And they're looking also for mastery, the chance for continual improvement. Those three areas, um, you know, is where... Uh, organisations should be really, really shifting, and um, and I think a lot of the a lot of you know great organisations are, and a lot are still in the process of trying to transition from the industrial punching out widgets to something where there's much more flexibility, creativity, and customisation in the workplace. And I think that that's probably a challenge because there is so much stuff going on so much noise and so much activity that's pulling and demanding our time and attention that you know often some of those things you know they just get pushed by the wayside don't they yeah they do and um you know that's why i'm i'm really um very passionate about advocating that people create rituals healthy rituals and because uh, you know rituals and habits make up 40 percent of what we do each day but um, they can be bad habits and bad rituals and, uh, you know, things like, you know, making time on, to have uh, regular exercise, making time to spend with people that are good for you, you know, making time to, um, uh, to know your strengths and to work with your strengths, have, making time to also really consider what's important each day because, very easily we can we, we can all become incredibly busy but it's really about you know are we working on something significant that's going to move the needle lead to greater productivity in the long, in the long run that makes the difference and um you know i think one of the greatest tips i ever got <laughs> was to, was to you know at the start of each day before you turn on the computer don't turn anything on ten, spend, just spend 10 minutes working out you know, what are the one or two things that you're going to do today that, you know, if you get them done, that'll lead to a great sense of progress and moving forward for yourself rather than jumping straight onto the computer, trying to answer all the emails and get through it. Um, you know, being able to step back and consider what's really important is a really critical element. Oh, look, I can't, uh, can't agree more. And I think um, time and space is something that most of us lack in our day-to-day -day operations and certainly in large organisations. We're busy doing stuff uh, and we don't necessarily stop to evaluate things. I know uh, a number of years ago I was uh, doing um, a large project for Microsoft where I went all around the Asia-Pacific region and taught Microsoft staff uh, a process that enabled them to better manage their emails. Um, yeah. And that at the time in itself was um, just so strange for me to comprehend. But one of the, the key pieces that we drove home was the fact that uh, 
a lot of people were being sucked into their emails first thing in the morning by doing exactly what you just said and making other people's priorities their own. And it was about shifting that paradigm around the expectation that whether that was their own expectation or, or something that they'd been led to believe was what they were supposed to do and reminding them about the fact that they were employed to achieve their KPIs. And as long as they achieved their KPIs, it didn't matter if they had 10 emails or 10 10,000 emails so and I think somehow everything's moved so quickly it started to get distorted yeah that's that's the case there's plenty of volume (laughs) (laughs) that's for sure now um I wanted to talk to you about uh the are you okay initiative um you know I know that there's a certain time of the year that we we look at this but I I don't think it's something and I'm I'm hoping you agree with me I'm pretty sure you do uh that it's something we should be always looking out for not only uh within our family and friends but our close team members and from an organizational perspective just checking in more regularly about people uh, and and checking in are they actually okay you know what sort of signs might there be that people might be on the edge of experiencing something uh, and moving into depression yeah well mainly it's around um, change in behavior Donna like someone might be you know more angry than normal or more withdrawn than normal they could be um, you know, could turn up to work not as well presented as they normally are or unshaven or have alcohol in their breath. Um, and that's the biggest indicator when someone could be going through some tough times. Um, it's not the sole indicator. You should also be aware of people that you know are having difficulties. They could be going through a divorce or they could be, um, you know, have a loved one who's really, really ill or dying. And so they're probably the three, and, and, and also, you know, people that are quite um, uh, depressed can also really withdraw and not be as active socially as they, as they normally are. So we all have um, bad days, but if someone is behaving in an atypical way for three or four, day, three or four, three or four days in a row, I really think that it is much, much better to you know, to reach out and try to have a conversation with them. And, you know, what we really encourage people to do is to ideally go somewhere private or even walking outside can be fantastic and just, you know, start off by talking about the weather, breaking the ice or family or hobbies or whatever, and then just make an observation about a change in behaviour. You know, you might say, you know, I notice you haven't been coming to Friday night drinks anymore. Is everything okay? And um, are you okay? And then to really listen, you know, step two is to listen without judgment. Um, Ask open-ended questions. Try and encourage the person to talk. Because very rarely will the first thing offered be the complete um, picture. So the more they feel understood, the more you can keep on probing, the more that uh, you have the chance to be able to influence them. And, uh, you know, you might... Someone might be turning up late to work, but by asking the right questions, you might find that they're not sleeping. And the reason they're not sleeping is because, you know, their son's become an ice addict and they're racing all over town trying to find him and save him. Well, it's it's a very different issue talking about late to work versus, you know, having a son that's um, an ice addict. Mm -hmm. And, um, And then, you know, when you feel understood, you don't have to be able to solve their problems, but then 
just encourage them to take one point of action. It could be to, you know, to see their GP, to call a helpline, to call the uh, Employee Assistance Program. Um, step three is to encourage action. And step four is to follow up, you know, maybe, you know, four or five days later, just follow up to see if they have taken action. And just that simple approach or method for asking, are you okay, has, uh, has led to some really, really profound stories. We have, um, you know, so many letters and uh, emails just saying that this is um, just so simple, that simple step has made a big difference. Wow. Wow. And, and look, I'm convinced I could have a conversation for a couple more hours with you, <laughs> you Graham. And I know for a lot of our listeners, this is going to be something of interest um, with regarding to getting better performance out of their teams and, and more importantly, making sure uh, people are, are happy and healthy uh, mentally in the workplace. You, you mentioned before when we were talking that you have your, your own habits and rituals you know, and, and one of the uh, the items that you mentioned resonated with me and that was around a simple gratitude journal at the end of the day. You know, uh, for some people it might sound a little airy-fairy, but it's about finding whatever it is that resonates for you. Ha have you got some ideas or strategies or just some thoughts around different things uh, our listeners could apply to help themselves create a more mentally healthy workplace in that area of uh, habits and rituals? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in fact, on my website, which is grahamcowan.com.au, there's a, a place where you can download a free um, poster, which is Seven Rituals of the Resilient Leader, and upon downloading that, you automatically register for a 20-day course which goes through um, each of the seven rituals and gives ideas about how you can incorporate those into your life. And so ritual one is to, um, uh, is to, is to live your one thing. And your one thing is the thing that keeps you centred. It could be a hobby, it could be a person, it could be you know, something you do that uh, you know, just nurtures your soul. Ritual two is to refuel daily. You know, that's about exercise, resting well, eating well. Ritual three is to nurture self. And so that's about um, um, spending time with people that are good for us. Ritual four is play to strengths. And so it talks about how you find out what your top four strengths are and how you incorporate that into your everyday life. Ritual five is uh, progress is better than perfection. And so that's what I talked about before, the importance of being grateful and and uh, acknowledging progress each day. Ritual six is ask, are you okay? That's both to yourself and to those around you and make sure you're doing okay. And then if they're not, um, you know, suggest they go through the steps which I outlined previously. And uh, ritual seven is true to self. You know, are you living an authentic life? You know, do you like yourself? Do you like what you're doing? Do you like how you're doing it? And, uh, and so there's suggestions around each of those things about staying in the green zone. Um, if people, are, if there's people on here on the, your uh, recording who are depressed, and and there always will be. I also have another website which is called I Am Back from the Brink, and on that website there is a a free thirty day mood boost plan um, on things you can do to come out of depression and to make yourself, um, you know, it's it's around you know exercising. How do you find a good mental health savvy GP? How do you build emotional support around you? They're just practical steps to build people up slowly 
um, to get them out of the red zone and more into the orange zone and hopefully eventually into the green zone. So that was I'm back from the brink. Yeah, I am back from the brink. I am back from the brink. Com. Au. Uh, just .com. Just .com. Okay, terrific. Now, just to finish off, you, you mentioned there about um, the red zone, the, the orange zone and the green zone. Was it the orange zone it was, wasn't it? Yeah, green, orange and red, yep. So is that uh, sort of like, obviously it's a traffic light sort of structure, is that um, an assessment around where our mental health can sit and vary? Yeah, it is. And so, you know, the green zone is like 10 out of 10 where you can cope with anything. You know, you're you're resourceful, you're optimistic, you're energetic. And so really anywhere from probably about, um, you know, 7 to 10, I consider the green zone. The orange zone is from around 4 to 7. And then the red zone is from 0 to 4 um, on the moodometer. Okay. So it's just a way to... Uh, to picture it and the good thing about talking about moodometer rather than you know depression or mental illness is that everyone can relate to mood and uh acknowledge that you know we all have down days up days um and uh and so it, it becomes more universal Graham, look some great insights and i'm sure many of our listeners uh, have never even considered some of the things that we've spoken about today um i'm no doubt some of our listeners will be interested in touching base finding out a bit more about your programs obviously uh you know going to your website and having a look at that the uh, seven rituals poster and, and the course if some of our listeners are in organizations and want to explore the possibility of bringing you in to do programs uh, within their organization how is the best way for them to connect with you graham uh, well, probably the best way just to call the office number, and mm-hmm. and so the office number is uh, 02 0344. Okay. All right. Fantastic. And again, thank you so much. I'm so glad you're you're back from the brink, uh, <laughs> and I appreciate your time today. Pleasure, Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this Expert Insights CD. For more information on productivity, technology, strategy and training, visit the website, the three W's, donnahanson.com.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hanson helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now.